Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. To learn more about the church, feel free to drop by fredericksdachurch.org. This is the last part in the four-part series, Decisions, Decisions, with Robert Quintana. In this message, Pastor Q shares how even Moses had weaknesses and struggles in following God's will for his life, and that we're not much different, but that ultimately, when we follow God's will, we'll lead fulfilling and abundant lives. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. I'm reading from the New King James Version, Exodus chapter 3. It's easy to find. It's the second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now let me just set this up for you real quickly. Most of you have already heard this story, or maybe you've heard the story leading up to the point where we're going to start to read. But Moses had grown up in Egypt. Remember, the census went out to to kill all the children, and so his mom put Moses in a basket. You remember this story? And then floated down the river, and then one of Pharaoh's uh, daughter... Uh, found Moses, brought him into the palace, and then he, he grew up in the palace. He, he was educated in that culture, in that society. We know from other parts of Scripture that Moses' mother was involved in his upbringing. So at some point or another, she introduced herself to Pharaoh's daughter and, and was involved in the upbringing of Moses. And so Moses knew, he understood his background. He knew um, where, where his family was from and, and what that was all about. And he understood that his people, the people of Israel, were being held captive by the Egyptians. And so when he looked out and he saw all the work, all the burden that was being laid on the people, he understood, he saw, these are my people who are being burdened. These are my people who are being taxed. And so he understood the struggles. So you can imagine him growing up, the turmoil that he must have felt as his heart was broken, having grown up in Pharaoh's home with the best of everything, and yet seeing his people outside of the palace walls struggling and working hard. And so here we now find ourselves many years removed from that experience in Egypt. Because Moses, knowing that the people of Israel needed to be freed, decided to take matters into his own hands. And so in chapter 2, if you'd like to read this on your own, he kills an Egyptian. But then... When he finds out that, that Pharaoh's out to kill him, he decides to flee. And so he leaves Egypt and he goes to the land of Midian where he finds Jethro and he begins to herd sheep. All right? So now think about this. You go from the, the pinnacle of one's career, from, from being at the top of your game with everything that you need, with servants, to now being a servant of Jethro, watching over Jethro's flocks. Now, let me stop there for one second, because I need to bring you up to speed in where we are at in our sermon series on decision-making. This sermon series on decision-making is to help us understand how we need to make the right decisions in life. To help us make the right decisions in life. And as we've already covered, one of the keys, if not the only key to understanding how to make right decisions is that we have to understand and know the will of God. And that is why for the first two parts of this sermon series, we talked about getting to know God. Because if you get to know God, if you head in his direction, if you know God, you're going to know his will. And in knowing his will, you will then be able to make the right decisions in life. And then last week, we changed gears just a little bit, and we started to talk about practical ways, real life, day-to-day ways that we can know the will of God in our lives. And so the first thing that we talked about last week was that in order to know the will of God, 
in order to accept the will of God in our lives, we must first get rid of our own will. Do you remember that? We, when we approach God, we must put our will on the back burner. We need to say, okay, God, I am open to whatever it is you want. Wherever it is that you're leading me, I am open to that. Now, that does not mean that we don't come before God and share with God our desires or our wants. We don't, it doesn't mean that we don't, we don't communicate with him and say, you know, God, this is what I really would like. This is where I would prefer to go. But having said that, ultimately, at the end of the day, it needs to be his will that rules supreme in our lives. And our will needs to come second to that. So we need to come before God with our will having been placed aside and say, okay, God, what is your will for my life? Because only then will you be able to really, truly accept the will of God for your life. And so you have to be able to put your will aside. Another thing that we talked about last week was the word of God. is understanding the word of God. And as we read the word of God, we get to know what his will is. And we may read something and we may not think, well, it doesn't apply to my situation right now. But if you read something and it's a biblical principle, just kind of put that aside. Because I guarantee you it's going to come back up again. But we have to spend time in his word. We have to read his word. We have to study his word. Because in his word, we're able to know the will of God and we're able then to make wise decisions for our lives. We read that passage in Psalms that says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, the word of God is a guide for us. It lights up the way so that we can see clearly, so that we know what decisions we need to make. And listen, it doesn't matter how trivial that decision might be. Turn to the word of God. Turn to the word of God with whatever, however serious the matter is or how trivial it is. Turn to the word of God because you will be surprised how when you read stories in scripture or when you read what God has to say, you will be surprised how the Holy Spirit will take what you're reading and turn it so that you understand his will and it will help you in the decisions that you're making in life. Choose a, a book of the Bible. Start in the New Testament. Maybe start reading one of your favorite all-time stories of Scripture. Maybe you start with Joseph or reread the story of David. And you will find that in reading the Word of God, you will find the will of God. You will find the answers for the decisions that you're facing. And then the last thing that we spoke about last week was that it's important for us to surround ourselves with godly counsel. It's important for us to surround ourselves with people we know have a a relationship with God. It's important for us to surround ourselves with the right people. Because in so doing, we can then turn to them and say, hey, this is a scenario. This is the situation. This is the decision I need to make. What do you think? And then listening to their wise counsel, you can take that into consideration. Now, at this juncture, I have to mention that not one of these things that we're going to mention throughout this whole series, taken apart from all the rest, can stand on its own. In other words, you just can't pick one of the eight things that we're talking about and say, this is the one that I'm going to base all of my decisions on. No, it has to be a culmination of all of them. And it has to be taken at the weight of evidence as you take all of these things into consideration. You have to acknowledge these things. Because sometimes, sometimes a godly person will say to you, this is where I think you should go. This is the direction that I think you must take. But yet the seven other things in your life are saying one thing or saying a a different thing. And that individual that you're talking to may not understand or may not fully grasp the bigger picture that God's wanting to accomplish in your life. And that's why it's important that with these eight things, you have to take them all into consideration and not just choose one to base your decisions on. Now today, we're going to look at an epic battle of wills between man and God. And in this story that we're going to read here today together, we're going to discover the next three practical ways that we can know God's will for our lives. So remember, 
Here we are. Moses has left Egypt. And now in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says that now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the, what's that say? What's that say? Desert. That's important. I'm going to come back to it. To the back of the desert and came to Herob, the mountain of God. Now, some people might say, Pastor, what, you're, what you just did is a stretch. All right? I mean, the Bible right there in verse 1 isn't saying this. But when you couple it with the rest of Scripture, all right, it makes sense. And here it is. The fourth way that we can know the will of God. Here it is. You have to find time to spend quietly with God. You have to make time in your life for there to be quiet time with God. Here Moses is in a desert. And it's in this moment, it is in this experience, while he's in the desert, that he comes face to face with God. We have to carve out, in our busy schedules, we have to carve out time where we can just sit still and know that he is God. Psalms 46.10 tells us, be still and know that I am God. We have to be able to carve that time out of our busy schedules and say, you know what, I'm turning off the computer, I'm turning off the cell phone, I'm turning off the television, I am spending some quiet time with God. You think about, when was the last time you spent quiet time, one-on-one time, just you and God? Well, you may be saying, but pastor, I don't have the time to do that. And I say to you, you can afford not to. You have to spend that quiet time with him. Now, we've spent many times here already. We've had sermon series on prayer and how to enhance our prayer life. And most of our prayer life involves us talking to him, right? Most of our prayer time involves us sharing with him what's on our mind, what we're going through. God, this is what I need. This is how I need you to come through for my life. And and we go through the list and then we say amen and then we walk away, right? Let me just say to you that when you are faced with a big decision in life or when you're uh, you're trying to ascertain which direction I need to go, it is important that your prayer life not just consist of what I want. In fact, it has to be the complete opposite and your prayer life has to turn to more like, what is it that you want for my life? And then you sit quietly and listen. And that's hard for us to do. I mean, we live in a society where it's go, 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 go. I mean, we sit, uh, we sit in front of the TV, and if it doesn't catch our attention in just a few seconds, we're on to the next channel. And so we are, we, we've been raised in this society where if it doesn't fit me, if it doesn't suit me, if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't touch me just right, I'm moving on. And so it's hard for us to sit quietly in the presence of God and say, God, what is it that you want? I struggle with it. Sometimes I'll say, okay, quiet time with God. Right, And I'll turn everything off and this is my time with God, right? And so then I'll say, okay, God, where is it that you want me to go? What direction? What is it that you want me to do? And, and seriously, it, five seconds will go by and I'll think, oh, I need to buy deodorant when I go by Walmart tomorrow. Oh, what else do I need to get? And then I start making a list. And I'm like, Whoa, I got to stop myself. Wait a second. I'm spending time with God. I'm here to listen for for him. What what does he want for my life? And it takes time. Yes, it takes discipline. Yes, but it's something that we can develop. And so we need to incorporate into our lives these quiet times, these desert times where it's just me and God. And all I'm doing is I'm just listening for the promptings of his spirit in my life. And I'm asking the question, God, what do you want where, do you, where are you leading me? How do you want me to go here? And then you sit quietly. Psalms 46.10. Be still 
and know that I am God. Well, let's keep on reading and we're going to discover the fifth way that we can know God's will in our lives. Verse 2 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, How will, how will I will now turn aside and see this great sight? Why the bush does not burn? So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, I know that there are a lot of us here today that wish God would just appear to us. You know, I'm faced with a big decision. God, just appear to me like like you did to Moses, you know, and say, Pastor Q, Pastor Q, right? And, and, and I have the fortitude and the strength and the, the peace of mind to say, here I am, Lord, right? I know that that's what a lot of us want, but let me just say, be careful what you ask for. Because this is no small event that's taking place here right now. All right. In fact, when we keep on reading verse five, it says, then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And listen to this. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Let me just say this, that if God isn't revealing himself to you in a burning bush or by writing on the wall, if he's just not appearing to you and saying, hey, here I am, you know why? It's because we are not ready to receive that much presence of God. In other words, our hearts are not ready to receive such glory. The Bible says that God is a consuming fire. And here we just like, like, oh, no big deal. God, just show up. Just tell me where to go. And, and here we have a man, Moses, who for years, for decades, had been building his relationship with God, had been communicating and communing with God for decades. And here Moses, you know, the one that like went and, and did the ten plagues and parted the Red Sea, this Moses went God first appeared to him, it says that he hid himself. Because why? He was afraid. So just take that into consideration. And let me just advise you to do this. Instead of asking for God's presence, instead of asking for God to just reveal himself through thunder and lightning and the writing on the wall and the burning bush, instead of asking for that, try asking for this. God, prepare me. Prepare my heart to see you. Prepare my mind to receive you. Prepare me through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the workings of the Holy Spirit. Prepare me so that I can see you, so that I can receive from you. And that should be our prayer because if we're preparing our hearts, then guess what? We are working towards that, that point in our lives when we can see the burning bush, where we can see the writing on the wall, when we can hear directly from God and not be so spooked and so scared that we would run out of the room. You know, if God was to appear right here before our very eyes right now, I would bet that 90% of us would just run out of the room. And the other 10% that didn't, it's because they've passed out on the floor. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, think about God appearing. If we were to see the figure of Christ right now ascending from the roof in all his glory... We would be so scared, we'd be so spooked, we'd be running out of here. And the rest of us, passed out. So instead of asking for a great revelation or instead of asking for something big to happen, start small and just start asking God, listen, God, prepare my heart, prepare my mind, 
prepare me so that I can see you, so that I can receive from you your will. Well, we keep on reading here, and God goes into this beautiful plan of how he's going to deliver Israel from the Egyptians. And he goes on and he says, Moses, this is what we're going to do. This is what's going to happen. I've heard the cries of my people and I have called you now. This is what we're going to do. And here is the epic battle of the will between man and God. Because in verse 11, this is what we read. But Moses said to God, all right, you know, the wonderful plan that God has just laid out. You know, God has just said, this is what's going to happen. This is my will, all right? And to this, Moses says, indeed, when I come to the children, I'm sorry, verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses isn't too happy about what God wants to do in his life. He sees it, and listen, he sees it, And hears it from a burning bush. All right? Most of us say, if I was to see it, then I would do it. Right? But here we have Moses who sees it and hears it from a burning bush. And still he's like, "Um, God, I'm not so sure that's the way we need to go about things here. You know? And so here this battle of wills begins. The will of Moses Versus the will of God. And he's like, I'm not so sure that I'm the right guy for the job. You better go ahead and and, and send somebody else. In verse 12, so he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. All right. Now, wait a second. See, I have a problem with this verse. Because if God caused me to do something... And he's going to give me a sign that this is what I'm supposed to do. I want the sign before the fact. Not after the fact. Hey, I'm not the one. Uh, No, no, no. So God says, okay, Moses, let me give you a sign that this is my will. When the people come out of Egypt, when you go to Egypt, you know, and they come out of Egypt, all right, you will serve me on this mountain. (laughs) wait a second God no 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 you're asking me to believe on you now on a sign that's going to happen afterwards now check this out folks because God does this all the time he does this all the time with us let me give you a perfect example of this God says if you return to me what's faithfully mine if you return to me a tenth then I will bless you right I will open the doors of heaven and you will receive a blessing that you are not able to hold. That you, it's beyond your imagination. Okay, that is a sign that happens what? After the fact, right? But what do we do? We say, no, 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 wait a second, God. Give me the sign first. Bless me first and then I will, I will do what you're asking of me to do. But God doesn't always work that way, right? And he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. Trust me. Have faith in me. You'll see. It'll all work out. The battle of will. Moses and God. And he's not too keen on that one. He doesn't like that very much. And so in verse 13, he comes up with another excuse. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now you need to understand and remember that in the culture of the Israelites, of the Jews, to say the name of God was a big deal. Do you remember? It was a huge deal. It was so big of a deal that they often didn't even call him God. And so they would refer to him some other way because his name was so sacred that no one wanted to say it because they were afraid that they were going to kill over and die. And so here now Moses, pretty clever, huh? All right. If you're really the one that's sending me, when they ask me who sent you, what's your name? Who do I tell them sent me? And in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, a side note here. Remember in the New Testament when Jesus was asked, who are you? Do you remember how he responded? He said, I am. This is why the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, all the scribes, this is why they got so upset. They were like, what in the world are you doing? Because Jesus was associating himself with the God of the Old Testament. He was saying, you know, the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, that God, that's me. So when the Pharisees heard that, they went ballistic. Are you crazy? Are you saying that you're the God of the Old Testament? That's just a side note. But here, God says to Moses, when they ask you who sent you, just tell them, I am has sent you. And so God continues to convince Moses. He continues to, to plea with Moses that this is what I want for your life. This is where, where I want you to go. This is the decision that I want you to make. And so he goes on and on and on through the rest of chapter 3, trying to convince Moses that this is the plan that I have laid out for you and for the children of Israel. The epic battle of wills. And up until this point... Moses does not feel like going through with what God wants. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Moses answered and said, It all sounds great, God, uh, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So here, Moses' will is still getting in the way, right? He doesn't feel like going. He's happy where he's at. He has a family. He has a flock of sheep that he's taking care of. He's at peace. He doesn't want to bother. He's happy where he's at. God, don't push me. This is what I want for my life. Just, just leave me here. And so he keeps on coming up with, this, with excuse after excuse after excuse. And then starting with verse 2, God then starts to show him some real signs right before his, his eyes. Take the rod, throw it on the ground. Take your hand, put him in the bosom, it comes out, it's all leprous, put it back in, it comes out, it's all clean. And, and all of these things is, is in order to try and get Moses to understand that this is my will. This is what I want for your life. And then in verse 10, Moses responds and he says, then Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since, you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And then God responds, okay, Moses, answer me this. Who made man's mouth? In other words, don't worry about it. I will provide, all right? I will make sure that the words you have to speak are the words that are coming from me. Don't worry about it. And then in verse 13 Moses just throws up his hands and he just comes down to the real issue. He expresses his real will here and he says, But Lord, oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. All right, God, the bottom line, I don't feel like going. Just send somebody else. All right already, you've answered me on all these points, but don't you get it? I don't want to go. So send somebody else. All right? And so here you read the story how God patiently comes to him and he tries, he, he again tells Moses, this is what I want for you. This is the decision that I want you to make. This is where I want you to go. But notice that it wasn't until Moses removed his will. It wasn't until he put his will aside that he was then able to accept the will of God for his life, which was the first thing that we looked at last week. But there's something very interesting going on here. 
There's something else that if you read between the lines, you will see that's going on here. And that is the feelings that Moses is having through this whole experience. You see, because Moses doesn't feel like going. He doesn't want to go. And so he's coming up with excuse after excuse. He's trying to justify this and justify that all to get out of doing what God really wants for his life. And this now brings us to the fifth way that we can know the will of God. The fifth way that we can know the will of God is our feelings. All right, now, having said that, you need to understand that our feelings don't always agree with the will of God. And this is why this is so important. It is of all the things that we're going to look at, it is probably the most influential. It is perhaps the biggest. It is the toughest one to understand. But it is so true when when I heard someone say that 90% of the decisions that we make are based solely on our feelings. Our feelings lead to marriage. Our feelings will lead to the, the purchases that we make. Well, that TV doesn't make me feel as good as this one because this one has all of these other things. And feelings play a huge role in our lives. You know what? Well, I don't feel like going up to them. I don't feel like going up to them and saying hi. I don't feel like going across the street and inviting them to church. I don't feel good. I don't feel, 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 feel. And we base so many of our decisions on feelings. And feelings play a huge role in our decision making. So here what we need to do is just unpeel another layer of this whole decision making and take a closer look at feelings. Because if we can keep our feelings in check, if we can apply these tests to our feelings, these tests that I'm going to share with you, you will then be able to determine if the feelings that I'm experiencing are from God. In other words, is it a conviction of the Holy Spirit? Or are these feelings originating from a darker place? Are they selfish? Are they prideful? Where are these feelings coming from? And if you can identify where the feelings are coming from, If you can put these tests to the feelings that you're having, you will then be able to make wise decisions as to where God is leading in your life. So here's the first test to test the feelings that you have. The first test is this. Is the feeling that you're experiencing, is it a sinful feeling or is it a righteous feeling? Sinful feelings may include fear, lust, doubt, anger, covetousness, pride, selfishness. Am I feeling what I'm feeling because of pride? Am I feeling what I'm feeling because of self? Because somehow myself was hurt? Therefore, I don't feel like approaching them or talking to them or extending forgiveness to them or extending grace to them. Is the feeling that I'm having a feeling of covetousness? Option A, this is such an awesome car. Option B, this car fits in our budget and it's going to get us from A to B. But the feeling of covetousness is drawing me over here. So is the feeling that we're having a sinful feeling or is it a righteous feeling? A righteous feeling may include hope or happiness. Weariness is a feeling that's normal, that's right, that's okay. Jesus experienced weariness. Another feeling that's righteous is, is, is one of hunger. You're hungry. Another feeling may include sadness. Christ was sad on many occasions. So what's prompting this feeling within? Is it a sinful feeling? Is it based on things that are sinful that we know are sinful? Or is it based on something that's good? 
on something that's righteous. And so when we are dealing in the realm of feelings, we have to be able to, to differentiate between feelings that are sinful or feelings that are righteous. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that, this, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. But you think about that verse for one second. If God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, then who has? Where does that come from? And am I going to allow those fears that I'm experiencing, am I going to allow those feelings that are based on that fear to determine the decisions that I make in life? If, for instance, I'm fearful of, of reaching out to my neighbor, and I'm fearful because I think I might be rejected or they might not listen to me or they might think that I'm, I'm some quack or, or whatever. And, and we think, man, I'm fearful of that. And that fear, which is a sinful fear, then brings about feelings within that say, I don't want to do it. I don't want to head down that road. Therefore, my decision based on the feeling, which is based on fear, is I'm not going to step out. I'm not going to reach out. I'm not going to express my, I'm not going to invite them to church. And you can apply this to almost everything in life. When you talk about purchases, when you talk about big purchases like cars or, or plasma TVs, or you can apply this to just about anything. You can apply this to the relationships in your life. Apply it to the relationships with your spouse, with your husband and wife. Why do I not feel like being loving to them? Is it for selfish reasons? Is it because my pride has been hurt? Why don't I feel like, like buying her flowers? And so we need to keep our feelings in check. And we constantly have to be asking ourselves, where is this feeling coming from? Is it coming from sinful for sinful reasons? Or is it coming from righteous reasons? That's one test to test our feelings. A second test to test our feelings is whether or not it is a conviction of the Holy Spirit or guilt. All right? Now, see, all of these things, there's a fine line. And sometimes we blur those lines and we think they're, they're one and the same. And sometimes we think that being convicted by the Holy Spirit for sins in my life or whatnot makes us feel guilty. But did you know that God never uses guilt to change anyone? It's not part of his way. It's not part of his method of reaching out to you. He says that my love woos you to me. And Jesus himself said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through me the world may be saved. And so he doesn't use guilt. And so if you're feeling guilty about something, if you're feeling guilty about something, you just need to say, you know what? Get thee behind me, Satan, Conviction of the Holy Spirit, listen to this, will always bring with it hope. Will always bring a way out. In other words, when you feel convicted about something, you will always along with that feel hope. You will experience the forgiveness and the grace and the hope for a better tomorrow. So you feel convicted from the Holy Spirit and that conviction brings grace, brings forgiveness, brings hope. And not only that, but it brings the strength and the power to overcome whatever you're being convicted about. But if you're just feeling guilt because you're just feeling guilty, you can bet that that guilt is not coming from God. That guilt is coming not from God. It's coming to, to push you perhaps into depression, to move you, um, to, to make poor decisions in life. So that's one way that we can check whether or not the feelings that we're experiencing are feelings that are coming from God or feelings that are coming from Satan. Another way of testing whether or not our feelings are from God or not is to ask yourself the question, who's at the center Who's at the center of this feeling? Is it me? Is it all about me? 
Is this scenario, is this event, is it all revolving around me? Because chances are, if that is the focus, then chances are those feelings that you're experiencing are not from God. You see, because God needs to be at the center. God needs to be at the focal point. It's his will that needs to be accomplished here. And so when you put God at the center and you say, okay, God, what is it that you want? You're at the center of this. Then your feelings will will spring out of a righteous place. But if if the focus is you, and, and you're having all these emotions and all these feelings and all these feelings are because of you, chances are that you need to change the focus and say, okay, God, I need to somehow know how to glorify you in this. If you look at the life of David, when David was faced with the lion's den, do you think that, that, they, that I'm sorry, Daniel, do you think that Daniel felt good about being lowered down into the lion's den? No, he didn't feel good about that. I'm sure he felt like, man, you know, my time's up. I wish I could live a little bit longer. But you know what? The feelings that he was experiencing wasn't worrying about himself. The feelings that he had was, how can I glorify God? How can I keep God in the center of this? And because he was able to keep God in the center of all those emotions and all those feelings that he was experiencing, guess what? He was able to do things that most of us here would probably never do, which is to step out in faith and say, okay, I'm not going to abandon my God. If you want to lower me into a pit, that's fine, but I'm not going to turn my back on God. But when we keep God in the center of our feelings, when we continue to say, okay, God, what is it that you want? You need to be at the center of that. It helps to keep our feelings in check. And then the last test of how we can assure one way or the other whether the feelings that we're having are from God or not is that we give it the test of time. We allow it to give it the test of time. Now understand that there's a lot of decisions that we face that we, it's now. We need to know now, all right? You know, where, where do we go? What do we do? Do we buy this? Do we buy that? But you will find that the majority of the decisions that you have to make in life, you have a window of opportunity. You have some time. And so you sit on that time. Or as the saying goes, you sleep on it. So, perfect example of this. Someone sends me an email. That email, man, what? I can't believe, how dare him? And I get feeling of anger. All right, check it. See how this works? Is that a feeling that's good or bad? Bad. All right, so what do you do with that? You sit on it. You wait on it. You don't just get back on there and send. No, you see You acted on a feeling that came from a bad place, and because of that, you made a poor decision. So, you get that email, or someone looks at you a bad way, or someone says something about you that's not right, or that's mean, or whatever. Instead of getting all angry and allowing that feeling of anger to just rise up, and if it does, check it and say, is this a, a feeling from God, or is this feeling coming from somewhere else? Check it. You see how these tests work? You check it and then you say, okay, wait a second. Stop. Let me sleep on it. Let a day go by. Maybe two days go by. And in that process, you're applying all of these other things, right? God, how should I respond? What what do I need to do? I'm coming before you. I'm spending some quiet time to hear from you. I'm seeking some counsel from godly people in my life. How should I respond to this? And, and so you're, you're, you're applying all these other things. And, and listen, two, three, four days will go by. And usually, unless the email was like really bad, but usually a few days will go by and you will start to feel the peace of God and the presence of God. And you will start to hear from God as to how you need to approach that situation. And in so doing, you will then make the right decision. And listen, you can apply this to so many areas of life. Let's go back to the purchasing of a car. 
you get all these feelings and it all wells up and you're like, man, this is exactly what I want. But check it. Is this feeling of covetousness? Are these feelings that are, that are feeling some selfish, some self, um, some pride? Is it, is it something that I want to show off and, and say, there, I, I've arrived, I'm better than you? Give it the test of time. Check the feeling. Say, okay, wait, wait, wait a second, and now give it some time. And in that time, go to God. Find that desert place. Spend some quiet time with him. God, where do you think we should go? If the car sells, guess what? You got your answer. Right? If the car's still there at the end of it and, and, and through that process of seeking godly counsel or in that process of, of uh, spending some quiet time with God, you, you arrive to the conviction that, yeah, this is the direction God wants me to go. The, the price is right. Everything seems to be falling into place. I'm not, I'm not going against God's will in other areas. In other words, I'm not going into debt for it. So everything seems to be working out okay. So this must be the will of God. And then you step forward. But these are ways that we can use to check the feelings that we have. Because listen, feelings play a huge role in our lives. And we have to keep our feelings in constant check so that we are then able to know the will of God and we are then able to make the right decisions in life. Moses did not feel like going to Egypt. But thankfully, he was able to check his feelings at the door. And he was able to eventually put God in the center. And when he did that, he realized, I may not want to go. I may not feel like going down that road. But guess what? This is what God wants. And so I'm going to do it. I don't feel like buying flowers. I don't feel like writing a, a nice note. I don't feel like, like knocking on the door of my neighbor. But after spending some time, after marinating, after seeking him, after talking with him, I realize that this is what God wants for my life. And if this is what God wants for my life, I am going to buy the flowers. I am going to write the nice note. I am going to knock on the door of my neighbor because this is what God wants for me. And when you do that, you will make right decisions. And now, the last thing that I want to cover, and I'll go through this very quickly, is that in order for us to know the will of God, we need to know the providence of God. We need to know how God is working in our lives because, you see, God is working in your life, and he is, as we speak, painting a picture for your life. Let me explain it this way. Everyone's life here is like a jigsaw puzzle with a thousand pieces. And throughout your life, God has been revealing to you a new piece to that puzzle. And so when you're faced with a new decision in life, like which way do I go? It would be wise of you to ask, okay, does this fit in the picture Does this fit in where God is leading me? In other words, he's been leading in my life all these years to go be a missionary. And everything has been falling into place for me to go be a missionary. And then all of a sudden, at the last minute, I get another offer to do something completely different. And we might say, oh my goodness, what's the will of God? Just simply ask yourself, where's God been leading me? How has he been working in my life? And a good exercise is to sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and think of the big events in your life and jot them down and see if you can find a common theme, a thread of something that God's been wanting to do in your life through those experiences that you've been going through. And then when you're faced with a new decision, you can say, okay, according to the providence of God, according to the big picture, according to where he has been leading me, Where does he want me to go with this new decision in my life? All right, now listen. We're going to take a break next week. Next week is the culmination of VBS. And we're going to have a special service for our children. It's going to be a great service. Uh, Pastor Payne is going to have a wonderful message for us. And so next week is going to be the culmination of VBS. 
But following next week, we're going to finish this sermon series where we're going to look at the last two things that will help us understand the will of God. And along with those two things, I want to share with you a personal story about my life, my family, and the circumstances by which they left Cuba. I just found this out this week as I was talking to my mom about it. And I was like, I have to tell them. I have to share it. And I was trying to figure out how I can squeeze it into this, into this week's sermon. But I was like, no, no, patience, time. I'll sleep on it. And after doing that, I realized I need to leave it for the, for in, in two weeks. But I want to share with you because this story just shows us, teaches us how the decisions that we make in life how it not only affects our lives, but it affects the lives of those around us. So I pray that you, that you start, if you haven't, to institute these ways of knowing God's will for your life, starting with last week's message with the three practical things, this week with the things that we've learned here today, so that you can be someone that will make right decision after right decision after right decision honoring what God wants for your life. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we've spent together. God, we thank you so much for the story of Moses and really for sharing with us his weaknesses, understanding that as we read this story, not even Moses was perfect. Lord, we're not perfect either. And we have many of the same struggles that he had on that day when he was being called into full-time ministry. God, help us to know your will. Help us to incorporate your will into our lives. Help us to make wise decisions, decisions that will honor you. Remind us of the things that we've studied, of the things that we've learned here today. And Lord, help us not to give up. Help us to be patient and to persevere, knowing that with time, these skills will develop in us and we will be able to make decisions that will honor you and ultimately These decisions will bring happiness to our lives because your will is for us to live happy, meaningful, abundant lives. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick's Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can feel free to learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click on Sermon Audio.